We're in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you to do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at the man. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gates, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bear they were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Wonderful, thanks so much, Tori. Um, welcome to HGC, everyone. Welcome to the evening service. I'm Tim. Uh, I'm gonna be speaking for a few moments on that passage that we've just had read. Let me just read verse seven to you again, and then why don't we pray together? The man said to Jesus, this is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Lord, we know we aren't worthy to come to you on our own, but we thank you for your grace to us tonight. And we continue to bring ourselves to you in this service. And we pray that you would speak your word, say the word, Lord, tonight. Give us ears to hear what you have to say, hearts that are ready. Would you have your way? Amen. Amen. Well, as Jamie said, we're beginning a new sermon series as we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And um, one of the most powerful things that you can do with any passage of scripture, if you're wondering, you know, how can I get the most out of my time with God when I'm reading the Bible, is you can ask this very simple question, which is, what is this Bible verse that I'm reading, whether it's in the Old Testament, the New, whether it's the Psalms, whether it's Revelation, whether it's a gospel reading like we've just had, what does this tell me about God? Anytime you come to the Bible, any bit of it, you can ask that question. What does this tell me today about what God is like? And if you like, that kind of question drives this sermon series that we're beginning, where for a few months, we're actually going to consider the life of Jesus. And one of the gifts of uh, the Gospels is that we get to read about what God is like from people who are really there and with him. So the Gospel of Luke was written by uh, a doctor, and at the beginning of his letter, he says, I've tried to write up an orderly account for you. He's writing to someone called Theophilus. 
And he says, I've considered the eyewitness testimonies. I've considered the stories of the people who were there. He was obviously there himself. He says, I've done the work. I've done the investigation. And he presents Jesus. So what we get to do tonight and throughout the rest of this sermon series is consider what God is like, what Jesus is like from the people who were there and from Luke as he writes about him. So why don't we begin with verse 11. Please do read with me if you've got a Bible open. It'll also come up on the screen. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So this eyewitness account, this moment in Luke's story of Jesus, is two large crowds meeting each other. You see, you've got the large crowd that was following Jesus, meeting another large crowd that are there for a funeral procession. It's this moment of, um, as they enter the town, they see people coming out, where a young man has died, and this is the moment of his funeral. Um, but we don't just see here um, what happens. We see how Jesus responds to it. Um, and we actually learn that the dead person is, look at verse 12 with me again. This dead man is the only son of his mother. And what do we learn about her? That she was a widow, that she had lost her husband. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And this is how Jesus responds. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Now, remember, we can ask that question, can't we? What, do we, what does this tell us? What does this tell me about God? Let me just point this out to you. It's the first thing I want you to see about Jesus, his compassion. Can you see his compassion for this woman in this moment? It says his heart went out to her. He is moved by this moment. See, Jesus would have been surrounded by all these people who would have wanted all sorts of things from him. He had a crowd following him. They were interested in the things he had to say. They were interested in the miracles that he was doing. And yet Jesus spots this one woman and it says his heart goes out for her. The Greek word has a sense of like the very depth of himself being stirred. Maybe we might use the phrase like a gut punch. Do you know that phrase? You know, like, oh, it's just been moved here. But it's not just an inward movement from Jesus. It's like an outward one. His heart goes out to her in her grief. And that is what God's like. God is compassionate to the brokenhearted. God has compassion for those who are downtrodden. God has compassion for those who are grieving, for those who have lost. Jesus has compassion for this woman in this moment. Because that's what God's like. He has compassion and you can understand what God is like here from just considering your own experience. I wonder if you've ever seen anyone, and a bit like this description of Jesus where he sees a woman and his heart goes out to her, if you've ever experienced the same thing. Um, it happened to me the other day, I was driving on the motorway coming back into London and it was just getting dark and it was just starting to rain and I saw a guy at the side of the road and he had his boot, like the, um, uh, what's the front of the car called? Not the boot, the bonnet, thank you very much. It's a team exercise, this sermon. Um, he had the bonnet open, and obviously something was wrong because he was pulled on the hard shoulder, and I just saw him look up to the heavens and just sort of sigh. And my heart went out to the guy, you know? Now, obviously, it didn't go out enough because I didn't stop or do anything about it. <laughs> I've got places to be, you know, 70-ish miles an hour. I'm going home. It's getting late. 
Um, I wonder if the same things happen to you. Maybe, have you ever seen someone who's sitting on the streets begging? Have you ever seen someone who's crying? Have you ever seen someone who's in distress or in need and just felt stirred within you? If you've ever felt that, or maybe next time you feel like that, just remember that that is how God responds to someone who is grieving. Jesus responds in compassion for this woman. His heart goes out to her. And then he actually does something about it rather than me on the motorway. Should we look at verse 14? Then he went up and touched the beer. They were carrying him on. A beer is just an open top cart. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And amazingly, it says, the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. So weepings turned to praising as Jesus does a miracle. He walks up, he speaks the word with his hand on the young man and instantly he's brought back to life. He's brought back to life. So here we don't just see his compassion, we actually see him doing something about it. So first thing, Jesus here is full of compassion for the broken. Can you see his heart moved? But also there's something else I want you to see here, not just his compassion, but his power. See, God isn't just a God of power. Excuse me, God isn't just a God of compassion. He's a God of power. So we've just seen up there as he's just raised a dead man to life. Let's just skip back forward in the passage to verse one, where it says, Jesus entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Just picture yourself, uh, just picture the scene, okay? There's no medicine, there are no drugs, there's no NHS, there's no waiting rooms. If someone is ill, it's bad news. And this servant who the centurion has, it says, is about to die. So it's obviously incredibly serious. And it says this in verse three, the centurion heard of Jesus, word of God about. I wonder what the reports were. Here's a miracle working man. I wonder what they were. The centurion heard of him and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So he sent some leaders of the community. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man, they said, deserves to have you do this. Maybe they told him just how ill he was. Maybe they told him, you know, the condition he was in. But they say, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Now, one thing to note here, we know from Jesus, especially from the Gospel of John, that he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And I just wonder here, I'm reading this into the text, so don't take it too seriously. I just wonder if the Holy Spirit is speaking to him here. You see, he's being asked by people, but he also senses just the prompting of his father, go with them. You know, I'm in this moment. Because Jesus goes with them. And as he's on the way to go and meet this centurion servant, messengers come to him along the road. And we're gonna return to it later, so I won't read it out in full. But a message is passed on to Jesus. And the centurion says, Jesus, don't worry about coming to my house. It's okay I actually don't feel like I'm worthy enough to have you come to me. And we're gonna come back to this later, but he just says, just say the word Jesus, and I know he's gonna be well. And here, we don't just see Jesus' compassion for that broken-hearted woman, but we see his power over a broken body. Just look at verse 10. You see, Jesus doesn't even visit the man, but what happens, verse 10, then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Just like that, he was well. I wonder how quick it was. I wonder what it was like to be there. Maybe he was on his, literally on his deathbed 
and suddenly he's well. That's the power of Jesus over sickness. There's no condition that isn't under ultimately the authority of Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus is the one whose word brought all creation into being, he is the one whose word can speak life now. And God still heals people. One of the things is we read a gospel account like this and we sort of think, that is great for them. Well, that's interesting. Jesus healed someone. Just imagine if you saw Jesus raise, like, raise someone from the dead now. Wouldn't you lose your mind? Film it? I don't know what we'd do now. We'd probably all do this, wouldn't we? Wow, that's amazing, yeah. <laughs> that's going on Twitter. Or oh, what's the new one? Threads? Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> stick to the script, come on. God still heals people. You see, God still has compassion for the brokenhearted. If you are here today, and for whatever reason, you feel like life has brought you down, maybe it's grief like that woman. Maybe it's a situation someone you know is going through. Maybe it's the loss of Australia in the test match today in the ashes, you know. That's probably not a good example to have next to grief, but there we go. God still has compassion for you today. God's heart still goes out to you today. But in the same way, just as God healed someone then, so God is in the business of healing people now, of restoring them and making them whole. I just went this weekend on a weekend called Shift. Um, I didn't have, obviously, get enough of a weekend away with Christians, so I did two weekends in a row, and I went camping in Gloucester, just a time of worship and prayer and talks and all the good stuff. And I was talking to someone and she told me her testimony, her story of coming to faith. And it was just really, really encouraging. She described sort of meeting God a bit when she was younger. But her, her sort of transition into faith was this amazing, like, swift moment. And she said in her diary for a whole year, she had written the words, check out whether the Bible is true or not. And she said, yeah, I've got two to-do lists in my, in my diary. One is like the immediate admin and then one is like my big life stuff. And for a whole year, she kept writing next week, next week, check out if the Bible is true. And on the first day of lockdown, she decides to open up her Bible. Um, she's like, this is finally the time. And she said she read the first page of the Gospel of John. And she said she shut it, swore to herself and said, oh no, it's true. And there's just, I could, I could tell you the whole story. There was so much that the Lord did. But one of the really fun things is she said just along the way, she was just describing these experiences she's had, these answers, the prayer that she's had. She just said, oh, and along the way, God healed me of an allergy I had. I'd had a diagnosis about an onion allergy. I would throw up every time I had onions, but I don't have that anymore. I've been healed. And then she just kept going on with something else. You know, this healing, she was just like, oh yeah, and I got healed of this onion allergy as well. See, God's still in the business of healing people. Not only does he have compassion for broken people, he has power over sickness. When we read this text, when we read Luke, we can see what God is like. This is what he is like. He is one who has power, authority over brokenness and sickness. But there's another quality I want us to see here. Let's read from verse nine, shall we? So this is Jesus who's just heard what the centurion says. And we'll come back to it, but let's read this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith 
even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now these, these healings that we read about in the Gospels, they tell us, if you like, many things about God. But I want to suggest this. We don't just see here Jesus' compassion and we don't just see his power but moments like this with the centurion and the centurion's servant show us his mercy. We see the mercy of God here. The mercy that treats people, not as they deserve, but just out of sheer kindness. You see, the um, soldier, the centurion, wasn't a Jew. He wasn't you know, part of the people of God. This is why Jesus remarks, he's, he's amazed. I haven't found such great faith like this even in Israel, he says. And this is part of Luke's way of saying that Jesus isn't just the savior of the Jews, he's the savior of the whole world. He has mercy for everyone. He's got more than enough. He's got mercy for centurions who lead you know, whole armies of men. He's got mercy for all of us. He's got mercy for the whole world. And mercy... Um, is like compassion in action. It's, it's doing something about the way that you've been moved. And Jesus heals this servant because he's got mercy. So our God is a God of compassion. He's a God of power. And he's a God of mercy. Should I just repeat them again if you're taking notes? You know, what does this text tell us about Jesus? When we read the Gospel of Luke, what do we see about what Jesus is like? Let me suggest to you that we see Jesus' compassion for the broken. We see his power over sickness, and we see his mercy for the undeserving, his saving power for everyone. So with that um, story of that, uh, that girl giving her testimony to me, just wonder, when was the last time you gave your story about coming to faith? When was the last time you had a chance just to share you know, how you became a Christian? I wonder what kind of answer you would give. You know, maybe... You're in the pub after work and says, oh, some, oh that's interesting, you go, to, you go to church. And they tee you up with a great question, which almost never happens, but it sometimes says, you know, tell me, how did you become a Christian? I've got 35 minutes, tell me anything you like, you know? What would you say? What would you say to them? What would you want to draw out? You see, for all of us at some point, it's not always sort of clear when it is. Sometimes it comes in many, many moments. Sometimes like that girl who was talking to me, she had this real moment of, oh my goodness, it's true. At some point, we come to Jesus and we respond to him. And we don't just see in this passage today what Jesus is like, what God is like, therefore, through Jesus. But we actually see people responding to him, responding to his compassion, his power, and his mercy. And I want us to see here, there are three ways of people looking at Jesus and responding to what he's like. The first reaction of this is of the crowd reacting to Jesus raising, uh, Jesus raising of the widow's son. So look with me at verse 16 and 17, okay? So we don't just see what Jesus is like, we see their reaction. What's it say in verse 16? They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. There's a good line, you could underline that if you like. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So how do they react when they see the miracle that Jesus does? Well, on one hand, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? They've done the right thing. They worship God. They're in awe, but they're not just in awe going, wow, you know, isn't this amazing? Wow, they're saying God's amazing. It says they praise God. I wonder if that's the kind of testimony that's spread about the land. 
God is at work here. But I also want you to see here where their action might just be slightly off. Look at the second half of verse 16 again. It says, a great prophet has appeared among us. So as they respond to Jesus, on one hand, they worship God and they thank God for what he's done, but also they just slightly miss it, don't they? They slightly miss it because Jesus is more than a prophet, isn't he? They say, great prophets come. Wow, praise God, a prophet. It reminds me of Nicodemus talking to Jesus. Remember when Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again and Nicodemus says, you know, we know God must be with you because of the things that you're doing. And the point that Jesus brings out is like, God's more than just with me. I am God. And they kind of miss the point in the same way here. They see God do something amazing, but they just slightly miss it. They slightly misattribute it. A great prophet has come, they said. Okay, that's the first reaction that we see to Jesus. Let's read another one, shall we? So the second is also then the the way that the Jewish elders respond as they present the the need of centurion's servant to Jesus. Why don't we look at verse three this time? Okay, so it says, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now I bet that the centurion didn't ask them to say that. But what they do is they respond to Jesus. They say, look, here's a worthy case. Their paradigm here is the way that you can sort of come to God is on the basis of your own goodness, your own worth, your own value. What do they say about the centurion? He's a good man, Jesus. If anyone deserves his healing, it's him. What do they point out about him? He say they loves, he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. In other words, he's got a bit of cash, you know? He's a wealthy guy. Jesus, he's a VIP. Actually, maybe he's a VIC. Very important centurion. Jesus, he deserves it. And again, can you just see how, when we know about God and the grace of God, can you just see how that reaction might just be slightly off? Because they come to Jesus, Jesus saying, he deserves this. So two reactions. You've got those people responding to seeing the miracle and they say, ah, a great prophet's come. And then we see the elders of the Jews, it just means the community leaders, saying this man deserves healing. We also see a third reaction. Let's look at how the centurion comes to Jesus. Let's look at verse six. So Jesus went with them. Luke reports this. Jesus was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, notice the reverence of that word for a start, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. He's almost like he's apologizing. Look, I'm sorry that I've only sent my servants to come to you, Jesus, to pass on this message. I could have come myself, but actually I don't consider myself worthy. But then he says, but but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. And he goes on. Here's the third reaction to Jesus. Do you notice his humility? Do you notice his humbleness? Do you notice the way that he has lowered himself when it comes to responding to Jesus? I am not even worthy, he says, to have you come to me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to have you come, even under my roof. 
to have someone come under your roof in those days is like the ultimate sign of hospitality, of acceptance, but also of a kind of equality because you're sharing and breaking food together. And he says, I'm not worthy of that. I don't deserve that. That's not who I am. And remember, this, if you're a centurion in those days, okay, it's part of the Roman commanding army. They were the ruling uh, force in the nation at the time. And you would have had status as a Roman for a start, and then you would have had status if you're uh, a leader in the army. So if you're a centurion, it's that thing about being a VIC again. Like, he's a big deal. And anywhere he went, he would have been welcomed as such. You know, he would have been the guest of honor wherever he went. And yet he says, Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come to me. I'm not actually even worthy to bring myself to you. Can you see here the great contrast between him and the elders of the Jews? The elders of the Jews come to Jesus and say, look, if anyone's deserving of healing, it's this man. If anyone deserves it, it's him because he's really wealthy. And he says, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. That's not who I am. I wonder if we ever are tempted to do what the elders of the Jews do. Are you ever tempted to, you just start believing your own PR when it comes to God? Lord, I've been very good at prayer this week. You know, I've given a lot to revitalize 250. That's our building project at the church. You know, I've been along to, like, you know, me, I've been to two Christian weekends in a row. That's got to build up some God points somehow, you know? Lord, I've been on the weekend away. Whatever it is, I wonder if we can sometimes get into that mindset of actually maybe I'm a bit deserving. I'm a good person. But the centurion doesn't come to Jesus on the basis of his own goodness. Instead, he looks to something else. Look with me at verse seven. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But look at this response of faith. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Yes, I'm not worthy, but Jesus, but if you speak the word, he's gonna be made well. And then he has this amazing, and it must be inspired by the Holy Spirit. This must be a spirit-led thing. Verse eight, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Amazingly, somehow here, this centurion has an insight into what God is like. He says, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And that's just like Jesus. See, Jesus in the Godhead, let's not get too complicated here. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? And Jesus, in humility, submitted himself to the Father. You see, when he prays, says prayers like, not, not your will, not my will be done, but yours be done, it's expressing this thing in action where the head of Jesus is God, where Jesus has subordinated himself to his Father and says, Lord, what you want, Father, what you want, that's what I'm gonna do. And in turn, what the Father has done is placed everything under the feet of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is under the authority of the Father, but God the Father has placed everything in all creation, including something like sickness, a broken body, under the feet of Jesus Christ. There's so much more you could say about this. I hope that's not confusing to you. But let me just say this. That centurion had an insight into what God was like in that moment. And he just relates it to his own situation. He's like, I've got a boss, 
and I'm the boss to some other people. And he says, so with that in mind, I'm not worthy to come to you, Jesus, but if you say the word, I know he's gonna be well. What faith that is. What a response of faith. You see, the great contrast here again is between him and the elders of the Jews and the, that crowd, excuse me. What do the crowd say? Ah, a great prophet's come. What does the centurion say? If you say the word, he's gonna be well. Because I'm a man under authority with people under me, just like I see you are through faith. Look at verse nine. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Isn't that amazing? God being amazed. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, who is God, being stunned at the response of faith. When Jesus hears this revelation, he's amazed. Turning to the crowd, following him, I wonder what that was like. Maybe they're behind him and just sort of turns. Maybe he almost thinks out loud. He said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. So even in the people of God, that Israel just means the Jews. And Jesus had come first for the Jewish people. And he says, I haven't found faith like this, even in the people of God. There is a kind of faith that amazes Jesus, that stunned him. And it's that kind of humble faith that this centurion has. This kind of humble faith that says, yeah, I'm not worthy, but I'm hoping in what you are like. I know your power. I know your authority. I know that if you speak the word, even if I'm not deserving to receive the benefits of it, I wanna see you move. And I wanna say this in response to everything I've said in this sermon so far. God is our God. God. Our God is a God of compassion, he's a God of power, and he's a God of mercy. That is who he is. We can read about it in scripture. But more than that, God delights He loves to show his compassion, his power, and his mercy to us. He loves to show those things. He loves to reveal himself. He loves to move, especially to humble people who don't come to him on the basis of any of their own goodness or any of their own worth, but just trusting in who he is. And he delights to reveal himself to those kind of people. He delights to answer their prayers. He delights to move close to them. And God has done that for you if you've turned to him by faith and God wants to do it again and again and again and again and again for you. You see, we don't deserve to receive Jesus, yet just like his heart is moved and he reaches out to that widow, so God's heart is broken for you. It moves, it stirs out towards you and Jesus reaches out to you in your brokenness. Whatever that is, Maybe it's a physical condition. Maybe it's a mental, you know, uh, anxiety, you know, some kind of mental health thing. Something about your life, something about your family. God reaches out to you in that moment. And also, just like the centurion, Jesus welcomes us to come to him, even though we don't deserve it. That's the wonder of the grace of, the grace of God. We do not deserve to come to Jesus. We do not deserve to have the king of all the universe reach out to us. And yet that is what God is like and that is what God does. And we don't just read about it in scripture, but we can see it in our own life. And I wonder where this would apply to your life. 
maybe you've never given your life to God, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Let me just say this to you tonight. Not only is God real, but he's interested in you and wants you to know him. And he's provided uh, a way for you to know him as he's died on the cross for you. And just like he's reaching out to this widow here in this story, just like he's inviting this centurion, so God is doing exactly that for you. And you can just turn to him tonight. Or maybe you're here tonight, you would call yourself a Christian. And there's just a chance tonight to come and really get right with God. When you think about what your faith is like, when you think about you know, how you're relating to God, isn't the danger that perpetually we just put other things in the way of God? It's called idolatry. We put other things in the place of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has all authority over everything. That's why the man's able to say, just say the word and he's gonna be well. And yet we don't recognize that sometimes in our life, do we? You know, we know that Jesus is Lord of all except we're worshiping something else. We're choosing to spend time with something else, with someone else, whatever it is. Even if that's true of you tonight, just hear the welcome of Jesus to come to him, to repent, and to put him as your Lord again. You see, we don't deserve to come to him, but he still welcomes us because of grace. Maybe one of the ways this might apply to your life is, you know, when you think about what it is for you to follow Jesus, you would just love to become a person of great faith. Maybe there isn't a challenge here for you, but there's just like a call. You see, you know in your walk with the Lord, you're like, I'm longing to see more. Tim, you're talking about healing and the way that God heals people. I wanna see that. You know, you wanna see God move among your friends. You wanna see God uh, answer prayer. You wanna see God do the miraculous. You wanna see his kingdom come and his will be done in your life. Can I commend to you tonight? Can I point out the example of this centurion? See, becoming a person of a great faith is actually becoming you becoming smaller and God becoming greater. It's actually this journey downwards. What's this man's response, this centurion's response to Jesus? Humility. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, Jesus, but I'm coming, I'm trusting, I'm hoping in what you are like. That's what faith does. Faith hopes in the character of God, in his goodness. And we know that we are saved ultimately by grace through faith. But it's not faith that saves us, is it? Our faith isn't the good thing. It's Jesus who's the good thing. Someone once described it that um, sort of being connected to Jesus is a being a bit like uh, a wedding band and a diamond. I saw one yesterday as Emma. She was, in fact, this morning, Emma was just showing her ring to someone. Emma's just, just got engaged. Congratulations. Now, when someone looks at Emma's beautiful new ring, they don't go, wow, that's a lovely you know, connectors that you have. Because when you've got a wedding ring, you've got the ring, and then you've got those little bits of metal, do you know the ones I mean? That connect the diamond to the ring. Are you following me here? Okay, well, no one looks at those connectors and goes, wow, they're so pretty. Everyone looks at the diamond and goes, wow, that's amazing, as we were doing this morning for Emma. Our faith is a bit like that. Our faith is the thing that connects us to God. Our faith is nothing special. Our faith is just in one who is precious, special, wonderful. When you look at Jesus, what do you do? The same thing you might do when looking at a diamond. Wow. And when we're trusting in him, 
and what he is like, we can see him do amazing things that we cannot possibly see in our own strength. And we can actually follow the example of this centurion who humbles himself but trusts in the God who is high and lifted up. Let me give you a prayer that typifies this. So one of the things I really enjoy doing in my job here is getting to the 8 a.m. Can I just have a little hands up? Who has been to the 8 a.m. service here at HTC? Okay, that's a good effort. All of you, you're all welcome. Eight o'clock, Sunday morning. If you all came, it might actually be a bit of a problem because we'd have to change the venue. We'd probably start talking about revival had come. Okay. In the eight o'clock service, uh, it's slightly different to the way things we do here because we have liturgy the whole way through and it's liturgy written in the 1600s by a chap called Cranmer. And there's this beautiful little prayer that I love getting to pray every time I lead that communion service. And here it is coming up on the screen. Let me just read it out and then I just want to unpack it. It's just I try to apply this approach to God. So this is in the context of communion, okay? Taking the bread and the wine. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs underneath your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is to always have mercy. We don't presume to come before you, Lord, trusting in anything good that we've done. But as we come to you, Lord, we're trusting in what you are like, your manifold and your great mercies. On our own, without the grace of God, we're not even worthy to pick up the crumbs underneath the table of Jesus Christ. And yet he's the God whose nature, whose very being is to always have mercy. And that is exactly how the centurion comes to Jesus and we can too. And we can lay aside those idols. We can lay aside the distractions. And we can become people of great faith who humbly expect God to move because we're trusting in what he is like. There's another humble person though here in this story. See, there's a, an invitation to God from God tonight for us to come to him but as I've said already, there's also the image in our passage tonight of Jesus reaching out. There's the humility, isn't there, of the centurion who in himself says, I'm not worthy to come to you and I'm not worthy to have you come to me. But there's also the humility of a woman who has lost everything. In this story, there's a widow. And if you're a widow in the time of Jesus, you're basically at the bottom of the rung of the social ladder. You know, you can't really get any lower. You don't have any status. You don't have any money. So not only has she lost her husband, but this woman loses her son. And that has a very practical implication of losing her, you know, way to do life because the son would care for the mother. And yet Jesus reaches out to the very lowest person. He reaches out to, his heart is moved towards the most broken woman. Yes, he goes and visits, he, you know, he's on his way to the centurion who's about as high up in society as you can get, but also his heart is for and he reaches out to the lowest and the most broken. And I wanna to say tonight, as well as there being this invitation to come to God for all of us, to do that thing of where we humble ourselves and say, Lord, would you be lifted up? I wanna see you move, say the word. 
I just want to say tonight, if you are in the place where humility isn't actually something that you need to do for yourself, but you feel like life has brought upon you, know that tonight that Jesus reaches out to you. Maybe it's actually that you need healing for something in your body. Maybe it's particularly where there's been a condition that's plagued you again and again and again. Maybe it's been something you've actually reached out to God for. Maybe tonight you're here with grief. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe tonight you're carrying someone on your heart that doesn't yet know the Lord. And there can be a real grief there too. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe at the moment you're just beset by anxiety, depression. Amy, you're Ewing on our weekend away said just such a strong word about those who are considering suicide and how life was worth living. Wherever you're at tonight, particularly if you feel like life has humbled you, not like you need to humble yourself, tonight Jesus reaches out to you. His heart of compassion is for you. God has compassion, he has power, and he has mercy for the humble. Tonight, know that if you feel like life has just brought you low, God stoops down to meet with you. And what I'd love us to do as we go through the rest of this service and this time together is, if you like, put a bit of faith into action and extend the love and mercy of Jesus to those who need it most among us. And I want to ask in a moment for us to do is, if you just feel like God's stirring you tonight, you might be in that category of, you know, actually, I just want to humble myself before the Lord for some reason. We'd love to pray with you for Jesus to be glorified in your life. Maybe you're like, I'm just really sad. I want to be that person of great faith who says, Lord, say the word, and I know it's going to be done. Or maybe tonight, you've, you're the one of those people who feel like life has humbled you for some reason. And I'm really, really, really excited tonight to pray for those who need healing. We'd love to pray for you if you need healing or if somebody you know needs healing. Amen.